Welcome to Truth and Liberty. Thank you for joining our daily live call-in broadcast where trusted leaders bring biblical insights to the issues and you can call in and get your questions answered in real time. According to the Bible, it's the truth you know that sets you free. So call in today to get answers, information, and resources to help you stand for truth and effect godly change in our nation and the world. And now here's your host, Alex McFarland. It's been said that evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. We've all heard the term the Great Commission, and the Lord Jesus has told his church in every generation to go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. In short, part of the Christian's job description is to tell lost people how to be saved. So why is it that studies show that evangelism and conversion growth among the church is really kind of flat in many parts of America and indeed the world. Hi, Alex McFarland here. Welcome to this edition of Truth and Liberty. Folks, we've got a great show. We're going to talk about evangelism. Has the church forgotten how? And can people, can secular people, affluent Westerners, can people still be one to Christ in 20? 23. Plus, later on in the show, we've got a, a call with a journalist, Sloan Rachmus. We'll talk about anti-Semitism. I was in a, a, a demonstration standing for Israel Sunday afternoon just two days ago. I'll tell you about that. So evangelism, worldview, Israel, there's a lot in the news. And folks, you won't want to miss the next few moments of this show. Plus, I'm going to give the number because we want your telephone calls. You can join in the conversation. You can ask questions. And the number, when my guest and I open up the phones here in just a few moments, the number is going to be 719-619-2341. It's Truth and Liberty. And I'm very honored to bring on the guest that I want you to meet, because when it comes to the subject of evangelism, I don't use this term lightly, but he is an expert, and I know he does what he does for the glory of God, but I've known Daryl Davis for, I don't know, 20 years at least, Um, you know, and he is one of these people, he makes an impression, he does so much with giving others eternity ministries, he leads outreach teams to the Super Bowl. He leads evangelism teams to Mardi Gras down in New Orleans. And he's preached the gospel in, I don't know, many, many countries. But when it comes to the subject of how do we get back to an ethic of evangelism, few people I know can help us as much as Reverend Daryl Davis. He's our guest on Truth and Liberty, and he's in town for a conference. And I want to say, Daryl Davis, thanks for making time to be with us tonight on the program. Alex, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you all this evening and uh, to be able to talk about this important topic. You know, uh, thinking about the idea of being an expert, I'm really more of a practitioner when it comes to evangelism. I learn more every day, especially when I'm around people that are like-minded and uh, have a heart to reach people with the gospel. I've learned a lot from you. Well, and and you and I have had the privilege of collaborating on a number of outreach endeavors. And, uh, you know, here's the thing that I want to, and and we give God the glory, but in all the 20 plus years I've known you, you have been consistent as a minister. You have been all about evangelism. And I think God has blessed you in that. And 
and will continue to do so. But um, uh, let me just start the conversation this way, Daryl. Um, in every generation of believers, how important should evangelism be? Well, I think it should be at the forefront of what the church is doing. You know, when we look at the mission that Jesus had when he came here to this earth, um, he says he has come to seek and to save the lost. And so if that was the top priority for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I think it should be the same priority for our churches uh, because God chose to use the church and chose to use believers to deliver his message of salvation. Uh, he could have chose a thousand different ways, but no, he chose you and I. And particularly those who have met Christ as their Savior have been born again, and they have come into that relationship with Jesus Christ. It's so uh, simple, really. It's, it's you want to tell others once you come to know Jesus. So, you mm -hmm. know, I think that should be our top priority and it should be much effort put toward that in the church. Uh, Daryl, since COVID, in the quarantines in 2020 and in the years since COVID, uh, church attendance, I mean, study after study shows that, you know, with rare exceptions, church attendance is down, and I mean way down. Uh, conversion growth uh, is just not what we would like it to be. Um, do you have any advice for churches that want to get out of the, the, the funk maybe they've been in since 2020. Sure. Well, first of all, when you look at the effect of COVID, um, I think it magnified a problem that was already there. Um, so many people in our churches tend to be cultural Christians. Uh, so they're a part of the church culture. They're Christians because you know, perhaps maybe they had a family member who was a Christian, uh, you know, the right thing to do in the community is to go to the church, you know, and be there on Sundays. And so, so many people have really not had a born-again experience. You know, I remember years ago, Dr. Billy Graham talking about at least 50% of the church is not born again. And mm. in his latter years, he went on to say possibly even more than that. Uh, so, I think we have so many people that are not born again in our churches. And so the COVID thing just kind of magnified that. As far as getting out of that funk, I think it's important for us to understand that we need to devote a good amount of time, not so much to trying to recover the people who left the church. Um, so many times that takes four times the energy, I would say, to reach those people as it does to reach someone new who's never heard the gospel. Um, mm. So I think a lot of that, what we should do as a church is we should really focus on getting outside of the four walls of the church, getting out there and sharing the gospel with people. I mean, where did Jesus do a majority of his ministry, Alex? He did it out in the public. You know, yeah. yes, he was in yeah. the synagogue. Yes, he was in the temple. But most of his encounters that he had with people was out in the mainstream of life, in the day-to-day -day life. And you see the same pattern with the Apostle Paul. You see the same pattern with all the apostles. Uh, you have to get outside of the four walls of a building. I've, obviously, they didn't have a church building back then, but you've got to get out there and try to win new people to Christ. Now, folks, if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Reverend Daryl Davis of Giving Others Eternity Ministries. And uh, I, I want you to give your website because... Uh, you're a great teacher. You're a trainer of how to do personal evangelism. And I know you speak at conferences and all around the country. Uh, Daryl, what, what is your website? How can people find you online? 
Sure. Well, our website is www.goeministries.org. So it's the abbreviation for Giving Others Eternity. So goeministries.org. You know, I, I'm really thrilled at what you're doing on college campuses, and I've done a lot of this too. And I know you go to places, you know, uh, in North Carolina, I know you've been to Chapel Hill and you've been to NC State. So uh, let me ask you this. On the university campuses, have you met people that are like adamantly opposed to the idea of God or Christianity? We have. Um, and, you know, I think that's typical no matter where you go. You're going to find people that are totally against what we're preaching and teaching. Uh, I know last year on the campus of NC State, we would encounter a graduate student who would frequently come out there where we were ministering and, and we preach. OK, we hand out tracks. We talk to people one to one. The purpose of the preaching is really to generate gospel conversations. Uh, but this guy here, he was an adamant militant atheist and he would come out there and yell at us and cuss at us and you know one time he would come up there and uh i was preaching delivering a message and he stood up there and started reading all these bible verses out of the old testament that he thought meant god made god look evil you know and he was trying to preach over top of me and you know of course you know we don't use sound amplification on the campus it's just your voice and so he was trying to compete with someone who preaches regular and it didn't last long. Uh, but yes, we run up with folks like that. And, you know, we run up with some that are softly opposed to it also. Um, you know, we run up with people that are Muslims. We run up with people with agnostics, atheists, you know, all different types of people. Yeah. So how, how do you minister to people that are maybe they, maybe they identify as an atheist or something, or they're just pretty adamant against the idea of Christianity, how do you, is it kind of on a case by case, every, every conversation is unique? Yes, I think that's the case. I think every conversation and encounter is unique. And the biggest skill that you can have when it comes to sharing the gospel is good listening skills. So many okay. times when we listen to people, we listen to respond, but not necessarily to understand. And so you have to really understand their position. You know, you have to understand, you know, why is this person uh, saying they're an atheist or did something happen to this person uh, and that caused them to turn away from believing in the existence of God? Of course, we know Romans chapter one is very clear that men is without men are without excuse. Um, hmm. So uh, so we we have that out there that they're without excuse and that they, they, what can be known about God is visible to them in creation. Um, right. So, you know, you, you have to take each case on a case by case basis. Uh, I had an encounter in NC state last year with a guy who was an agnostic and, you know, he was constantly talking about the big bang. He was constantly talking about all the scientific proofs and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, you just kind of had to walk through and respond to each one of those things that he brought up in the conversation. Right. How, how do you know if somebody is really seeking truth or if they're just trying to play chess against God? Yeah, well, and that's the case that, you know, you have to identify it. Sometimes when you're out there, people will ask you crazy questions and they don't necessarily want an answer. 
they are trying to stump the Christian. I call them stump the Christian questions. <laughs> so you've, you've run up with those kinds of things before. The idea of can God make a rock that's big enough that he can't lift and things of that nature. Um, but as you're having conversations with people, you can really sense through the Holy Spirit that there's genuine interest there and they're actually listening. You look at their body language. Uh, I had an encounter with a young man up in Ocean City, Maryland last summer. And uh, this young man, as I was talking to him and sharing the gospel with him, the further the conversation went along, the more he would lower his head and the more he would, you know, look humble. And finally, uh, the Lord allowed me to lead him to Christ. And so, but you could just yeah. sense that God was at work in this young man's life. Well, and and let me just encourage you folks, if you're just tuning in Truth and Liberty tonight, and you're listening to Alex and Daryl talk about evangelism. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, uh, that would never be me. Uh, Billy Graham, Daryl Davis, they're out there witnessing. Folks, you got to know, I was the most shy. Uh, I was such an introvert. When I got saved at age 21, I was a college student. Uh, Daryl, I, I know you didn't know me back then. But I, I just didn't talk to anybody. I kept to myself. I went to school. I worked a couple of jobs. But what got me out of my shell was that I just knew people, they either had Jesus or they need Jesus, you know? And I, I began to talk to people, and I still feel very inadequate and clunky and awkward. But the beautiful thing about it, and Daryl, I want you to respond to this, uh, you don't have to be as eloquent as Billy Graham, or you don't have to be as knowledgeable as Andrew Womack. But if you're just willing to be used, God will use you. I, I, Daryl, I've always said this, God, God has used me in spite of myself. And what a thrill to be used by the Lord to influence somebody's soul and somebody's eternity. And so uh, Daryl, speak to the person who says, uh, yeah, I'm glad somebody else is doing evangelism, but that's somebody else. No, I think it can be every Christian's privilege. Um, and just speak to the person who's a little reluctant, but but they could actually be used by God. Sure. Well, Alex, first of all, I want to say that I can identify with you because after I came to know the Lord at age 24, I was the same way. I've always been an introvert and I've always had a difficulty connecting with people. But, you know, through the Holy Spirit, uh, God has given me boldness. And that doesn't mean that I don't get scared. OK, yeah. when I get out there and start talking to somebody, I still get the same butterflies in my stomach. I still do the same shaking in my shoes. And what I've learned is just you have to push through that and just get out there and put yourself in a place where God can use you. And I think you mentioned that right there. That is a key. You know, God is looking for our availability, not so much our ability. And so if we put ourselves in the hands of God and say, Lord, you know, please send someone my way today that I can share the gospel with, he'll honor that prayer. I remember one guy I used to attend Bible study with. And uh, he used to say that when he got up in the mornings, he believed that God had someone that he wanted uh, for him to witness to. And so he just talked to everybody until he found that one person. <laughs> Amen. You know, so I think that's that's pretty good advice. But, you know, uh, I'm an introvert. And so I have to work hard at relationships. Uh, and, you know, most introverts, they're not necessarily 
that they don't connect with people. It's just that it requires a lot of energy. But at the same time, an introvert can have a, a good connection with people because they get into more in-depth conversations. So introverts yeah. actually make really good evangelists. But going back to that, one of the problems I think we have in our churches today is we see evangelism as the job of the professionals. You know, right. we hire the pastor, we hire the church staff. Uh, they're the ones that we pay to go do evangelism. We might invite our friends to come and hear them preach or invite our friends to uh, trunk or treat or Halloween or, you know, any of these things these churches do. But we don't see ourselves as having a personal responsibility. And everywhere I look in Scripture, evangelism is commanded for all. Uh, it is a command and it's an issue of obedience. And so we've got to keep that in mind. If you love me, Jesus said, you'll keep my commandments. And so Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's mm -hmm. his commandment. Um, what, what are the things that uh, you must convey if, if you're really going to share the gospel? What, what are just some, you know, staying on point with the message and not getting off on a rabbit trail? But what must be conveyed if you're really going to share the gospel? Well, I try to keep a real simple uh, outline and a simple teaching whenever I do evangelism training. So first of all, I talk about the fact that God's purpose for us is to have life and peace. In fact, if you look in Romans chapter 5, it talks about the fact we have peace with God with our Lord and Savior, through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so that's what God wants for us. He wants us to have that peace. And most of all, He wants us to have eternal life and that relationship with Him. But there is a problem. And that problem is our sin. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, you know, if you meet someone who has never sinned, uh, you know, that's only Jesus. He's the only one that's never sinned. And you talk to people yeah. sometimes, well, I'm not a sinner. I haven't done these things. Well, have you ever told a lie before? Or have you ever taken something that belonged to you, regardless of the value? You know, if you go through the Ten Commandments, you'll find out, yes, you fall short. And then there's a penalty that comes with that. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And so we deserve to be separated from God for the things that we've done that have broken his. You know, I think you broke up for a minute, Daryl. I, I think you're, you're, the sound buffered a minute. Uh, restate that if you would. Uh-oh. Yeah. Maybe you got a little technical issues here. Uh, if you're just tuning in, folks, this is Truth and Liberty with Alex McFarlane and our guest, Reverend Daryl Davis. The number, we're going to get to phone calls in just a little while. Okay, I'm not sure what's going on with my... 719-619-2341. But, Daryl, I think I've got you back. Can can you uh, pick up yeah, where you left off? For some reason, stuff keeps shipping, shifting. Okay, sorry about that. For some reason, my stuff But anyway, um, so, you know, the Bible tells us that there is a problem that is our sin has separated us from God. But the good news is God has provided a way for our sins to be forgiven. And that mm -hmm. is through faith in Jesus Christ. It's by grace we're saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so individuals must make a personal response to that offer that God gives us. And that means they have to repent of their sins and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And mm -hmm. when they do that, then God gives them that gift of eternal life. And the Bible says they'll never perish. 
So, you know, I try to keep it very simple when it comes to training people because that little outline there, you can actually use scripture from anywhere in the Bible to share the gospel. And it's important to understand, too, the Bible says it's the law of the Lord that converts the soul. So we must use scripture when we're doing evangelism. So you can actually take that outline and you could go through Isaiah chapter 53, which is a beautiful picture of the crucifixion of Christ and all he did for us. You know, so if you're witnessing to someone who's from a Jewish background, you know, you may want to consider using that or even someone from a Muslim background. You might want to consider using those scriptures. Uh, And of course, I learned the old fashioned Roman road. Uh, Every scripture on that is in the book of Romans. Yeah. Yeah. Like Romans 3.23, all have sinned. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5.8, God demonstrated or tangibly proved his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Romans 10.13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, part of the reason I share that, folks, there might even be somebody watching right now. And in all of this talk about being saved, being born again, you might be asking yourself, am I saved? Listen, if you are watching and you want to pray with somebody, we have people that will pray with you and talk with you. The number, not for the call in, but for spiritual help and to make sure that you're a Christian or you have a prayer request. Here's the number for that, 719-635-1111. 719-635-1111 if you need spiritual help. Uh, Reverend Daryl Davis, our guest of Giving Others Eternity Ministries. Uh, Daryl, I want to ask you this. Um, Millennials and then Gen Z and younger, a lot of people talk about these different demographics. And I've written, in fact, I just submitted a book chapter last week to uh, a major publisher that's doing a book about worldview and young people. And I want to talk a little bit about worldview, but um, do you see that like Gen Z is more open to God and the gospel than millennials? I think there are uh, many instances of that where the Gen Z people are open to that. And of course, you know, their culture, like every other culture, has challenges that we have to kind of understand before we can communicate the gospel with them. But uh, it does seem to me that some of these younger people are open to spiritual truth uh, and open to the gospel. And of course, they live in, in a post-truth generation. And so witnessing to them is going to be something totally different than witnessing to a millennial because, you know, Gen Z, from my uh, you know, they determine truth by what they feel, which is why we have all these different genders out here and the gender fluidity kind of thing. And so, you know, you obviously want to take a different approach when you're sharing the gospel with them versus millennial or some that are in that older generation. But I think there's spiritual hunger out there and uh, folks may not necessarily be looking in the right place to find it, but we can point them to the right place, which is to Christ. How do you deal with um, if you're sharing the gospel with somebody and they're of a different religion, like Buddhist or Hindu or Muslim or, or Wiccan? I'm, I'm sure you've probably in this day and age, um, interacted with people of a lot of different belief systems. So let's say you're, you're just starting your presentation and they, they, I'll tell you what a a man said to me, Daryl, I was in a major city. I was sharing the gospel and the man looked at me and he said, well, I'm a Muslim. So this doesn't apply to me. 
How do you how do you deal with that kind of a situation? Well, I think one of the things that you do someone like that is actually try to seek to understand what they believe and have them actually articulate that. Uh, because, you know, for example, let's just go back to being a Christian. You know, if you're out there talking to someone about Christ and you say, hey, you know, Alex, are you a Christian? Well, you can easily say yes or no to that question. But the question is, what is your definition of Christian? You know, what does that mean to you that you're a Christian? Does it mean just because you go to church, you're a Christian? Or does it mean just because you're born in America that you're a Christian? You know, so there's the idea there that, you know, people have their own ideas of what that religion means. And so it doesn't necessarily mean that they are adherents fully to that different one, uh, different religion. So I, I would try to understand a little bit more about their belief system. I would say, well, hey, you know, tell me, uh, I've been looking at Islam. Tell me a little bit more about what you believe. Um, yeah. And of course, you know, I, I'm familiar with these different groups because I have to witness to them. I remember a number of years ago, I was in uh, Wichita, Kansas, and we were doing an outreach at a big music festival. And there was a group of young people that I had never heard of before. Um, they were called Juggalos. Some of our listeners may have heard of them, but they followed this rock group uh, called the Insane Clown Posse. And our leader had told us, you know, stay away from those guys. They're trouble. You know, they've threatened some of our people in the past. Well, you know, since I was so curious about them, I actually went to where they were during the daytime. And I said, hey, tell me what juggalos believe. And so this one guy started saying, well, we believe in this idea of Shangri-La. And if you're a good person, you'll go to Shangri-La when you die. And so we walked through that. And, you know, I just asked him questions. And then I would respond from the Christian worldview. At the end of the conversation, the young man went away to Christ, but he said, you know, he said, I like you. I respect you. Even though I don't agree with you, I think I thank you for the fact that you came down here and you cared enough to find out about what we believe. So sometimes yeah. when you're talking to people from a different perspective, you need to show interest in what they believe, not just hit them over your head with their big your big with your big black Bible. Yeah. And and I think you can do that. You can show compassion and genuine care without compromising the gospel. Hey, folks, if you're just tuning in, after the break, we're going to have a conversation. Going to switch gears a little bit and talk about the situation in Israel. And uh, we've got Sloan Rachmus, a journalist, a Jewish journalist, who's going to call in. We'll talk about some of the just unsettling anti-Semitism that we're seeing in the news but also with us for the whole show tonight, Reverend Daryl Davis, to talk about evangelism. Now, folks, if your church is plateaued or declining, that can turn around, and God can use you to help turn that around. Daryl, churches that have not seen new born-again believers in a long time, not baptized new disciples, it can turn around, can't it? Sure, absolutely. And, you know, it's all depending on the pastor a lot of times to set that example of being the evangelist and actually sharing the gospel. Um, I say this, I say evangelism more times than not is caught, C-A-U-G-H-T, versus taught. And so mm -hmm. when they see their pastor setting that example of sharing the gospel, you know, in his messages talking about people that he witnessed to this week, um, you know, I think that helps tremendously in encouraging the people that are in the church to get out there and witness. And then, of course, you know, making sure you're consistently 
training your people on how to do this. When I was full-time pastor at a little church in Eastern North Carolina, I tried to make sure that we had evangelism training at least twice a year. And yeah. it was not just training for the sake of training. We would actually go out and apply that. So we would go out and knock on doors. Uh, we would go out into the community for events. And so we would apply what we learned. Uh, sure. But, you know, placing that emphasis on sharing the gospel in, in every ministry of the church, I think yeah. every ministry of the church should be able to identify a way in which their ministry is communicating to the gospel to the people that they minister to. Even hold your that thought, Daryl. Hold that thought. We've got to take that. a brief break, folks. This is Truth and Liberty. The number, 719-619-2341. Stay tuned. We're back after this. At Truth and Liberty Coalition, we work to unify, educate, and mobilize the body of Christ to change nations. That's why I want to encourage you to go to our website at truthandliberty.net and subscribe so that you can begin receiving regular updates uh, about our show, news items, action alerts, blog posts, and much, much more. Uh, all you have to do is go to the website, click subscribe, share your email address, and you'll begin to be equipped to stand for truth in the public square. Andrew has many conferences and seminars around the globe each year. For the latest information on Andrew's complete speaking schedule, visit our website at awmi.net slash events. Hey everybody, Richard Harris here. I wanted to let you know that the Truth and Liberty live call-in show is now on Twitter. You can watch us there at 3.30 Mountain Time, 5.30 Eastern Time, five days a week. Just go and follow us on Twitter at Truth and Liberty Co. That's C-O. And remember, it's the truth you know that sets you free. So don't miss out. Watch us live on Twitter. Welcome back to the program. Alex McFarland here. We're going to resume our conversation with Reverend Daryl Davis and talk about evangelism. We're going to uh, talk a little bit about Israel, but I want to make you aware of a couple of things that I'm pretty excited about. One of which is this, the Cove. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to the Billy Graham Training Center in Western North Carolina. I'm going to be there July 12th through 14th. And I realize here, just a couple of weeks away from Thanksgiving, you probably aren't thinking about the summer of 2024. But I've been, this will be, I think, my 18th summer at the Cove. And it's amazing. It's beautiful. It's the Blue Ridge Mountains. And they say Billy Graham and his wife, Ruth Graham, they would prayer walk over these hillsides. And I'm just going to say it, at the Cove, you will truly feel the presence of God. Now, I'm going to be teaching through 1 John, and I'm, I'm very honored every time I ever get invited to the Cove, Will Graham, Franklin Graham's son, asked me to teach through a book of the Bible. And in past years, I've taught through Genesis and Romans and Acts and Colossians and many of the Psalms. We've done Daniel and Revelation. But because I feel like this is so important, Next summer, July 12th through 14th at the Cove, I'm going to teach through 1 John, and we're going to talk about the believer's authority. We're going to talk about our identity as believers, our authority in Christ, and I suspect maybe if you've been a believer for years and years, this is going to just open things up for you. So the website is thecove.org, T-H-E-C-O-V-E, thecove.org. 
You can Google my name in the space bar, Alex McFarland, and maybe next summer, uh, July 12th through 14th, you would join us there in Western North Carolina. Well, we're going to resume our uh, conversation with Daryl Davis, but I'm very honored to bring to the microphone right now Sloan Rachmus. Sunday, just two days ago, in my hometown of Greensboro, I had the privilege of standing with people. We were on one of the major thoroughfares, Friendly Avenue, uh, just one of the most well-traveled streets in Greensboro, and we were standing for Israel. And there were uh, some people I knew, a lot of people I didn't know, but I want to tell you, 99.9% of all the cars going by were giving us a thumbs up, and they were saying, yay, standing for Israel. Because look, folks, there's a worldwide conversation going on about the right of the nation of Israel to defend itself. And I I met Sloan Rachmus. She's a journalist. She is with North Carolinians Against Anti-Semitism. And I just wanted to have her on. I'm sure this will be the first of numerous visits. But we'll talk about the situation in Israel and the troubling anti-Semitism that is being tolerated in America and the world. So first time for her visit to Truth and Liberty. Sloan, thanks for calling in. Thanks for holding, and we welcome you to tonight's edition of the program. Thank you so very much for having me this evening. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and your audience about what's troubling all of us and is very heavy on all of our hearts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, l- let me ask you this. Um, how long have you been covering the the story of anti-Semitism? Because I know it it existed and was present even before the October 7 attacks on Israel. How long have you been covering this topic, Sloan? Well, I've been covering it since 2015, and I spent um, a lot of times covering specifically campus anti-Semitism um, in our universities in North Carolina, mainly, and then terror recruitment. So there's there was a lot of, you know, recruitment, um, you know, by, uh, well, quite frankly, Hamas into our college campuses and uh, enticing uh, black students to travel to Ramallah during the Black Lives Matter protests, for instance get training there and then come back and um, really cause problems, you know, for the hurting themselves and in their own communities as well. So I've been covering that. And then for the last three years, our organization has focused on K through 12. So sexualization of our children, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, critical race theory, which demonizes um you know, it's like a demonization bingo. So if you learn and teach children how to discriminate, demonize, stereotype, and collectively punish a certain group, it could go in any direction at the snap of a finger. And now we're seeing the the horrible poisonous fruits of that tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let me ask you, you're, you're Jewish. Um, what are your thoughts, not only your research as a journalist, but just your 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 emotions, your your feelings about the the current um, situation since October seven. Well, my husband is Israeli. He was actually born in Jerusalem. Uh, we have a lot of family there, 
We have uh, people that we know um, who actually live in Greensboro who are fighting now, um, mm. who are members of the IDF Reserve. So, um, you know, it's interesting. I, it, it's been Jews, international Jewry has not had a chance to grieve because we have been slammed with anti-Semitism. And as a mother of two, uh, a 12-year-old and a 15-year-old, to sit them down and say, not only are we in the midst of a second Holocaust, uh, we need to talk about how to defend ourselves, and we need to prepare you for seeing demonstrations where thousands of people are going to be calling for your extermination. Mm. I cannot even... um, you know, I, I, you know, I'm grieving um, and I'm angry and I'm, yeah, there's a lot of emotions and um, it's, sure. it's hard to unpack. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this. Would you, would you try to impress on the viewers and many, many are aware, but perhaps some aren't aware, but impress on the viewers how, how serious is the rise of anti-Semitism uh, worldwide right here in our lifetime? Well, I, you know, I all, I, I've been speaking to groups for, for years, and I always ask the audience, you know, how many people by a show of hands would stop the next Holocaust um, if they could, or, you know, do something to stop it? Everyone raises their hand. And I would say, well, you know, okay, how many hours a day would you spend doing it? One or two? And they always say, shoot, I would quit my job and do it. Well, we're, we're working up to it now. So I've known for quite a while um, that this was coming now, but I'm a conservative and my, all of my friends are evangelicals. So we, you know, this is very common for us. I think the people mm-hmm. not blindside are Democrats and leftists. And I hate to politicize this, but, you know, it, it wasn't us who politicized it, right? It shouldn't be political. And so mm-hmm. while I am prepared, I'm not prepared for how personal my work feels now. This is personal to me. Um, right. And I think that's the difference. Um, are, are there any parallels? Because, you, you know, Sloan, my, my entire life— when I was in high school and then in college, you know, we would study um, Hitler and the rise of uh, the Third Reich. And, and, you know, many times I've thought, you know, how did they let this happen? Did they not see, you know, uh, back during, you know, those, those times, how did they not see this coming and preemptively stop it? But, you know, here we are in 2023, and I mean, my goodness, we've got members of Congress, we've got certainly uh, liberal academics that are saying horribly anti-Semitic things, standing for terrorism. So here's a twofold question. What are the parallels between uh, the 1930s and today? And then what could we do today that maybe people didn't do 80 years ago to stop that Holocaust? Well, I mean, you know, we are in the 1930s because it is, and I and I will say, it's on the right and the left. So the the right has joined the left because we're seeing folks like Candace Owens and 
people, several people with Glenn Beck's organization and TPUSA, sadly, on their platforms who are saying there's zero distinction between them and Rashida Tlaib's language and their view. And I want to just, I want to really press that home that we're, we're talking, that's the problem um, is that it's being, uh, you know, it's, it's being normalized on both sides, which is why we have a problem here. Um, And, and so when we look at the 1930s, what we didn't have is that, you know, and what we do have now is look, they, they meaning um, there was a plan to go through the Jewish community to socialize, to make it so that they broke off from the state of Israel and supporting Israel. Happened under the Obama administration immediately, immediately, because, you know, and we see this in the Christian faith too. Sadly, folks are, are using, weaponizing their religion to get political pull and shouldn't do that. Um, and so, the, and that's what, that's what has happened now. That didn't happen, and what happened, what, and what what that has done is it's made the Jewish people um, a lot more vulnerable um, than they were, and I think mm-hmm. that's the dangerous part. Social media is is absolutely. I mean, that's that's where you're seeing the demonstrations from, et cetera. So we're it, we're we're a lot worse than the 30s. Uh, I I can tell you that. So that's number one. Um, and then, and I think the second question was, what what should we do? Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's such a great question um, because there's so much happening at once. I almost don't even know where to start. And you know, people are asking me that. Um, I think sharing things on on social media, sadly, is what some of us have to do, even though it's it's you know it seems like not enough and it probably isn't um i think um you know i i really i mean we're going to have to you know start i think pressing our legislators to define anti-semitism 30 different states have done it north carolina has not but it defines what anti-semitism is so that lawmakers uh, school teachers, principals, et cetera, have a nomenclature to work with and to nip right. it in the bud. If we can't define it, we can't fight it. Right. Is there a website you would point people to to get, um, you know, kind of the, the quintessential understanding and definition of anti-Semitism and then begin to, yeah. you know, stand against it? Well, absolutely. So I'm not big on referring people to a, the government website, but the State Department has up, uh, if you go to State Department and then anti-Semitism, it has a universal definition of anti-Semitism. And it's, by the way, it includes nothing about criticizing Israel. I mean, you know, I'm a critic. I love to criticize, so I, I do very often. But it, it's sort of like, um, it's, you know, it will give you the tenants to look for when you are um, painting swastikas on a Jewish person's home. We know. Hello. Um, but what we're seeing here on college campuses is when you're using a, the Jewish people in America and Jewish students as a stand-in for the state of Israel, that is absolutely anti-Semitic. In other words, I disagree mm. with Israel, so I'm going to kick the dog right in front of me. Mm. And, yeah. you know, that's happening. Accusing accusing. Israel of genocide 
is and and being Nazis is absolutely considered anti-Semitic. And I think all of us, including me, are going to have to get out of our comfort zone. I mean, I've lost. We never were friends, I suppose, but I've lost, you know, 10 or 15 people that I professionally worked with mm-hmm. because I, I would never stand for it when they did it to Christians or if they were doing it to black people or anyone else. And we must stay consistent with who we are as Americans, too. Yeah. And this is not America. Well, um let me ask you this, and I appreciate your time. And folks, if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Sloan Rachmus of North Carolinians Against Anti-Semitism. And we're also talking with Reverend Daryl Davis about outreach and evangelism in the churches. But Sloan, let, let me ask you, I've got two questions and we'll, we'll let you go. Um, in the nation of Israel, do, do, you, do you think that they feel like their dependable ally and friend, the United States, is no longer a trustworthy ally in the world? I don't think they know, nor do I think they really care at this time. Uh, Just it's, you know, the fog of war, things are going on. But even, you know, even when they had the campaigns, and they still do, it's called BDS, and it means Boycott, divest, and sanction. And it's been going on for uh, raging strong. So those campaigns are meant for one thing and one thing only, to demonize Jewish people in this country. They're meant to spread anti-Semitism. So the the target being Israel, of us being upset and blah, 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 they don't know that and they don't feel that. And it's not intended for that. It's intended to spread anti-Semitism. Now, Joe Biden has called today for a ceasefire. Um, It ain't going to happen. I don't I don't think they give a a darn. Because this is existential. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And and I mean, what uh, you know, we're not calling for the Ukraine to cease fire in their self-defense against Putin and Russia. Now, I've got one last question, Sloan. All right. I speak at a lot of colleges. And when it comes to America or even Canada, whenever I go up to Canada and speak, college kids, they'll often show their solidarity for indigenous people. Now, I want to ask if you think this is a good argument. All right. In Canada, they uh, and I was just two years ago at the University of Toronto, and it's like 50,000 students. uh, Huge. They don't celebrate Canada Day. They celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day. And here in America, many college students, they don't like America because supposedly the founders took it from the Native Americans. We need to stand with the Indigenous peoples. So here's my question. If you're going to talk about the land of Israel, uh, you cannot argue the Indigenous peoples are Jewish people. The, The sons of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, is that a good argument with those on the left and ask woke uh, pro-Hamas people, my goodness, why don't you stand with the indigenous people and know unquestionably the indigenous people are the Jewish people? What, what do you think of that line of reasoning, Sloan? Well, I love it for you and I because we're, you know, we're educated, but you're going to be talking to people that aren't. So Maybe what you could do is get pictures of that really big demonstration that happened in New York a week ago or two weeks ago. You show right. that and you say, are you on the side of these 
colonizers or are you on the side of indigenous people, which are people like you and me? Because these are massive amounts of Arabs who have come here. They're colonizing us. So they are the colonizers. We are the indigenous people, and they're trying to take our way of life. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. And, uh, good point. I, I think it's, yeah, and I, and I think if you don't like colonizers and you want to celebrate indigenous people, et cetera, then, you know, then you're going to stand with the people of this country that are, are being, um, and we have been put down for years um, as horrible Americans and, and, you know, bad Christians, this, that, and the third, all because there's a right. The bottom line is there's a right and a wrong. And every time we stand on the, on the, the side of the right and the moral and the righteous, we are the, the internal lights on the cockroaches are going to go running out and we know who is going to not want to want, want to experience judgment. And mm. I, I think that's probably what we have here, but right. you know, teaching that, that Israel is, um, you know, look, we, you and I didn't write that. God said that don't blame us if you don't like it, but we're the yeah. messenger and we're always the bad guy. And that's the way it is with these college kids. Yeah. Uh, great insights. Sloan, I'm, I'm going to let you go. We're going to visit again soon. Um, in the meantime, Godspeed, uh, our prayers are with you. And in the spirit of Psalm 122, verse 6, we are praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sloan. Uh, folks, if you're just uh, tuning in, it's Truth and Liberty. Alex McFarlane, our very special guest, Reverend Daryl Davis, uh, Sloan Rackmuth. We're trying to... Uh, and by the way, folks, part of the reason I wanted to talk about anti-Semitism a little bit, one, it's such a terrible problem, but I've got an article coming out that we've sent to the Newswire service on uh, just the horrible, I mean, it's really hard to even talk about what Hamas is doing over there and how we're just challenging America to stand with Israel. And folks, that voice of solidarity for Israel needs to include your voice and my voice. And as Sloan said, you know, the boundaries of the land of Israel and the fact that that land would be a possession uh, forever for the Jewish people and, of course, for the kingdom soon to come. That's God who laid that out. Okay, we're going to uh, go back to the calls. By the way, the number, if you want to enter into the conversation, it's 719-619-2341. We're going to go to South Carolina just a little bit south of where we are, uh, South Carolina. Linda, thanks for holding. You're the next caller on Truth and Liberty. Thank you. That was very interesting conversation, very enlightening. Um, we definitely are praying for the peace of Jerusalem. But my Amen. question is, um, my church is primarily an older church. In fact, a lot of the folks are old enough that they don't like to come out at night because they can't see well enough to drive at night. So when it comes to evangelism and getting out and knocking on doors and, and things of that nature, also there are a lot of, where I live, there are a lot of neighborhoods that have no soliciting signs up um, where you can't go and knock on doors. And people are just not real comfortable knocking on doors these days because you don't know what you're going to encounter. So what is your advice for us as an older church who has a bit of apprehension about going out and knocking on doors. 
Daryl, that's, a great, that's a great question. Yeah. So, Linda, actually, right now I'm currently serving as interim pastor of a church uh, in Fuquay, Verena, North Carolina, and most of the congregation are 60 and above. And uh, so we have people in the congregation that have that same feeling of not wanting to drive after night. Um, and so in that case, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be knocking on doors. Uh, one of the things that I'm leading this church to do coming up December 3rd is the town of Fuquay Marina is having a Christmas parade. So we are going to have people going out into the parade route and handing out candy canes with the gospel message attached to it. Um, obviously, one of the main things, though, is do we build relationships with our neighbors and do we try to witness to the people that God has already put around us? I think that's an important question too, because, you know, evangelism shouldn't necessarily be seen as a program or an activity. I think rather the scripture is plain that it's a lifestyle. You know, Jesus said in the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples. Well, he really said, as you go, make disciples. So I think one of the things with the seniors is encourage them, you know, hey, you have neighbors across the street that may not know Christ. Uh, we have a dear lady in that congregation right now, and she really has a burden for her neighbors. And she's all the time saying to me, you know, I share the gospel with us. I witness, you know, with my neighbors. So this idea, um, you know, is that we need to be not only going to uh, engage in evangelism with particular events or whatever, but we need, really need to make sure that that's a part of our daily walk with Christ. And Daryl, um, you know, we can all invite somebody to like an event. I, I know so much of evangelism is a conversation and personal interaction, but um, inviting people to church, inviting people to a concert, inviting people to hear a special speaker. Don't you think it's important? And Linda, to your question, churches can build this into their calendar of events, but that, that we, we need to be always looking for those opportunities to bring somebody under the sound of the gospel. Don't you think that's something that every church can cultivate, Daryl? I think that's a great place to start. I think you know, we should be inviting our neighbors. There were some statistics that came out a couple of years ago from Lifeway that said 86% of the people that are invited by a friend, a neighbor, or whatever would actually attend church uh, if they were invited versus 6% that would attend if a pastor invited them. Now, you know, that's some pretty startling statistics because, again, so many times we look to the pastor's to be the ones to do the evangelism when your neighbor is waiting for you to ask him to come to be a part of the church, come and be at a service, come to the concert that you're doing. So that's a very good beginning place uh, that we can engage in. The way I got involved in evangelism so many years ago after I gave my life to the Christ at age 24 was through gospel tract distribution. You know, I would just leave those things everywhere that I went. And eventually God gave me enough courage and boldness to start talking to people one-to-one. -one. And then, of course, later to preaching and doing all the kinds of stuff that we do now. But you got to start somewhere, you know. And so I think even just getting in the habit of inviting people is really a crucial thing to help you develop a burden for evangelism. Linda, do you have a, a follow-up question for Reverend Davis or myself? 
Well, one thing I just want to share with you, um, one thing my dad did before he died, he was a deacon in our church, and he took gospel tracts, and when we would go out to eat, and he would put the tip inside the gospel tract and leave that for the yes. wait staff person. And I thought that was great. Um, maybe that's an idea that someone else can use, but you've mm-hmm. given me some good ideas, and, and I appreciate it. I thank you for all that you're doing for the Lord and trying to win lost souls to Christ. Amen. Thank Amen. You. Thank you for the call. And uh, let me just say, if, if you do that, and, and we do that too, but leave a good tip. Be a, be a yeah. good tipper. Uh, and uh, <laughs> That's right. I, I know we've, sure. we've got, got Randall on hold. Randall, we're going to get to you. I'll tell you what I want to do. To do your call justice, I want to keep you till after the break. We've got a brief break coming up. Folks, do you know what? Truth and Liberty, this is so exciting what God is doing to raise up this, this program. So listen very carefully. Two things, if you would. Go to truthandliberty.net. The other thing I want to encourage you to share this with your friends, but truthandliberty.net slash subscribe. We've got articles, Richard Harris, Andrew Womack, myself, all the great presenters, Dwayne Sheriff. There's content, there's archive shows, and you don't want to miss any part of what Truth and Liberty is doing and how God is using this growing program and, and this movement. Uh, the other thing I would say is this, not only truthandliberty.net slash subscribe, but would you consider supporting this ministry and becoming a partner? Truthandliberty.net slash donate. Do you know, for your gift of at least $5 a month, if you would make a recurring monthly gift, at least $5 a month, and I would ask you to please give the, the best, most generous gift you can give, uh, then you're a partner with us. And, and you can know that you're doing something that is tangibly touching lives, changing minds, changing lives, and empowering people to stand for truth. And I can promise you, we're not afraid of hard work. We're going to write, research, broadcast, influence, stand for truth. You stand with us. We've got a brief break. We'll come back with more after this. Don't go away. With practical government, you have experts in the fields that are sharing their perspective, wisdom, and experience. It's not available anywhere else in the world. We're going to teach a Christian heritage of our American government. They're going to learn about the Founding Fathers. We're teaching the Constitution, how government operates, practical skills, and field study. No matter where you're coming from, the world needs you. Whatever God's calling you to do, you're able to do it. To learn more, visit practicalgovernmentschool.com. Hey, you know, a big part of what we do here at Truth and Liberty is to provide you with the resources that you need in order to stand for truth in the public square. So I want to remind everybody to go to our website and check out our resources page at truthandliberty.net slash resources, where you can find material that discusses just about every issue we're facing today in our culture. And these are things that are prepared by our strategic partners and some of the uh, most influential and important organizations in America today. Hi, my name is Carrie Pickett, and like many of you, I wear lots of hats. But most of all, I'm a child of God. Ever since I was young, my desire has been to share the unconditional love of God. There is nothing more rewarding to me than people changing their lives and then changing the world. That's why I'm inviting you to join me wherever you are, and let's discover together these foundational truths that will transform your life. 
We are back on Truth and Liberty. You know, when we're talking about worldview and we're talking about answering questions or responding to objections, talking about Israel so much in the news, it all reminds me that this is a battle of worldviews. We really are in like no other era that I've ever known in my lifetime, and frankly, no other era in American history, we're in a struggle of worldview. And that's why I'm so thrilled that uh, Karis Bible College, thousands of students are coming to Karis. I've been working, folks, since I was last on. I've had a number of meetings with Mike Pickett and with uh, the different people that we work with in scheduling the classes. And I'm so honored that in the spring, I'll be teaching biblical worldview to first and second year students. I'll be teaching apologetics. That's how to defend the Christian faith. And then there are third year programs in just this fall between now and mid-December in the School of Practical Government. I'll be teaching on speech and debate. We do a class called Maximum Communication. Then we talk about America and the philosophical foundations of the U.S. Constitution. And folks, this show is a part of it. Karis is a great opportunity. And of course, on Andrew Womack's website there, I mean, you think about this, folks, because uh, I know the challenges are real, but we're living in such an age of, of opportunity. On Andrew's website, there are a total of like 200,000 hours of teaching that's free. You can watch it. Everything from how to share the gospel to how to pray with power to how to stand for the Christian faith confidently in any and every situation. So we're enthused, and I want you to be excited. And please, tell people about Karis and all that's going on. Tell people about Truth and Liberty. And uh, we're going to go to a caller right now. By the way, that number, 719-619-2341, 719-619-2341. This is Randall. Uh, in Colorado, a subscriber and a student. Randall, thanks for holding. Welcome to Truth and Liberty. Hello, Randall. Yes, I'm here. Okay, Hello. wonderful. Uh, start over if you would. No, uh, I said no. Thank you for taking my call. My question is, um, we, I've, been, I've been told my whole life that the media is quote Jewish controlled. My question is, why do you if that's true, why do you think they're so slow to label this a religious or a religion war? Um let me say, and Daryl, you can weigh in on this. I, I don't know how much journalism is controlled by Jewish people. I, I think Hollywood definitely is the movie industry. And in a way, um, without generalizing, um, you know, I, I know there was a time overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly that the film industry was was run by a lot of uh, Jewish people. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing. I think about um, years ago, and I'm going to show my age here, but uh, like Frank Capra, who made It's a Wonderful Life, and George uh, Cukor who was a producer of um, Gone with the Wind, there was a time when a lot of Jewish people ran Hollywood, uh, but there was a lot of intentional work to keep the industry wholesome, 
Now, some of you that are old enough are going to know who I'm talking about. I think about Irving Berlin, who wrote White Christmas, um, and so many patriotic songs. Oh, my goodness. So um, the entertainment industry, back when it was patriotic and wholesome, uh, there was a lot of Jewish influence. But in terms of journalism today, I'm going to tell you, and I've, I've been to, oh, my goodness, uh, New York, Los Angeles, Miami, Dallas, Atlanta, um, because 20 books, and I've kept a publicist on retainer. I've done a lot of media, and I could tell you some stories that you simply wouldn't believe. But I would say that the journalism, uh, unless it's an overtly conservative Christian like Town Hall or Epoch Times, uh, and there are a lot of Christians at Fox, but Daryl, I really think American journalism is the product of Marxist um, alumnus of secular universities. So in terms of media, the news media, it's not so much Jewish people, uh, not that that would or wouldn't be a problem, but it's more people with a Marxist, globalist, woke worldview. Because like right now, there, there is not a Christian journalism school in America. Uh, Karis is a great university. Liberty is a great university. Biola is a good university. But I don't know a solidly Christian school that has a school of journalism. So, Daryl, I, I think, wouldn't you say it's more wokeness that's in the newsrooms that's part of the problem? I think so. I think, you know, first of all, the idea that Jews control the media that's been floating around for a long time. Also, the idea that Jews control the banking system. It's a remnant of that anti-Semitism that has always existed under the surface. You know, God called the people out, Israel. They were his people, his chosen people. And the enemy, Satan, has tried to destroy them from the very beginning. And so this anti-Semitism is just under the radar, always there. And so, you know, as Christians, we should be friends of the Jewish people. Because our Messiah was a Jew, you know. Amen. So, you know, of course, obviously, he went to the cross and died for our sins. But you're absolutely right. When you look at what's being taught in the academy these days, and, and it's all woke, it's all Marxist. You know, one of the places that we go to witness is UNC Chapel Hill. Uh, the buildings lean to the left at UNC Chapel Hill. I mean, that's how huh. liberal it is. You know, you have Bart Ehrman there, the professor who has written all these different books trying to prove the Bible and the guy that makes it, you know, his mission to destroy Christians' faith. So, yeah, I think a majority of the media is dominated by that worldview. And so this is why they are not going to label this as a war and, and they're going to, you know, talk about it in a different way than it should be talked about. Yeah, yeah. Um, Randall, I, I know that was kind of a long answer, but um, d does that does that shed some light? Um, oh yeah. That I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I I agree with everything you that uh, your guest, uh, your uh, Davis just said, Mister Davis just said. My my thing is. Um, I don't I don't understand the hesitancy to label uh this conflict as what it is is rather than relationship it's religion. Yeah. 
Well, and, well, and, and it's you know, all about who controls the narrative too, Alex. <clears throat> that's true. Be, because, yeah. you know, journalists, and this goes back 20 years to 9-11, they would not say Muslim terrorist or Islamic terrorist, you know, uh, and, you, you know, that, that's why we encourage you on Truth and Liberty, folks, you've got to do the heavy lifting of relentless study, and you've got to learn these, these things. It, it's very... Um, it's very telling that they they will not say things that need to be said. You know, uh, the transgender ideology, because transgenderism is not science. It's certainly not reality. It's a worldview. They, they, they will not say the Hamas terrorist, even though Hamas, they, they proudly embrace that they are terrorists. But American journalists, Daryl, I, I just believe... The American left, whether they're journalists or whomever, educators, politicians, the left has a problem with truth, don't they? Well, they approach everything with their presuppositions based on their worldview. And so, yeah, I, I would totally agree with you on that. You know, and, and all this really, you know, affects the way that we communicate truth as well. You know, what are our presuppositions? But these people have that presupposition to think that way. And so when they deal with certain issues, I think they're going to always have a slant to the issue. So when it comes to the Muslim issue, you know, Muslims are seen as good. You know, Muslims are seen as uh, good people and, and, you know, to be allied with and all that. And I'm not saying that all Muslims are bad. Please don't hear me say that. But they just have this slant toward that direction. And so I think that's what's going on a lot of the time. Wow. Uh, great calls. Uh, Frank in Missouri. Frank, thanks for holding. By the way, folks, the number is 719-619-2341. Frank, thanks for holding. Welcome to Truth and Liberty. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for talking to me, uh, Alec. Uh, you know, I, I, I really appreciate the conversation. And, uh, and I know that you've lived or you've been in, Ju in Israel a bunch of times. I lived in Jerusalem, Israel. Really? And, uh, yeah, I lived in Jerusalem, Israel. Uh, as a matter of fact, I lived in Jerusalem, Israel, tw uh, 90 days on the Mount of Olives. And then I was like 85 days in another house in between the Jews. and the But I, I don't want to talk about me. I want to talk about what's what what goes on in Jerusalem, Israel. You go in any shop, uh, you know, uh, go in a, a get your money exchange, go in a suit shop, go in a uh, uh, whatever, a, a bread shop or a, a, a restaurant, and the Quran is being piped into those places. So my point, and I'm, I got a question, uh, that uh, 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 that that they really appreciate uh, us having a handle on on our book, man. And the and the problem is is that we don't have a handle on our book. Yeah, you know, huh. I know you have a you have a book out for the hundred favorite scriptures, but I want to ask you, and uh, before I ask this question, I want to rattle off a couple of them. Uh, Jeremiah thirty one uh, uh, thirty five and. 36, as long as the sun is uh, and the moon are ordinances in the sky, Israel will exist. 
Uh, then I want to rattle off uh, Isaiah 66, 7, and 8. Can a nation be born in one day? Can Eretz, the land, come forth at once? And then I want to rattle off Amos chapter 9, verse 11, and, and verse 15. Verse 11, the broken-down tabernacle of David, the restoration of it. And I want to rattle off uh, uh, that, the last verse in, in Amos, that uh, when they come back, when Israel comes back in the land, there'll be no one that will ever take them out of the land again. That's radical, man. That's prophetic. And by the way, I, I, I want to ask you, what scriptures are you using and really, uh, you know, they got a prophet. The prophet is Muhammad. We got one, too. His name is Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Right. Amen, Frank. Right on. Well, l- let me say this, Frank, and I, I want to get to this about the scriptures that relate to Israel. Two passages that I would encourage everybody to read, and they're, they're kind of easy to remember. Read Ezekiel 38. Now flip those numbers over. Read Psalm 83. By the way, two weeks ago tonight, and I would encourage you to go to truthandliberty.net and rewatch this, I had on the program Dr. Susan Michael of the International Christian Embassy in Jerusalem, and she gave us a lot of scriptures. Um, there, there are scriptures about the boundaries of the land. There are scriptures about the end times that the nations of the Arabian Peninsula will attack Israel in the last days. That's in Ezekiel 38. And we add her on a lot of great guests recently. But um, Frank, let let me just talk about this for a second. Um, Since COVID, and Daryl, I want you to chime in. I was at the Billy Graham board meeting last uh, November, uh, and they were talking about, Will Graham was talking about how people are open to the gospel. Some of the number one Google searches are questions like this. Is there life after death? Does God really exist? Can I know God personally? Now, I want to say this. I believe the Bible is literal. When it says Jesus is coming back, that is literal truth. When it says that that land belongs to Israel, and one day, Zechariah talks about, they will look on him who they pierced. And there's coming a day I believe this. Literally, Israel will occupy their land in a state of belief. Now, we're not there yet. But, Daryl, the, the end-time prophecies about the troubles, wars and rumors of wars, the return of Christ, one day uh, Jesus will establish peace on earth, and he will rule and reign from Jerusalem uh, I take those scriptures literally, and, and I believe you do too, Daryl, and, and we can believe God's Word as literal truth, uh, can't we? Sure, absolutely. I agree with that. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we need to understand is the Bible has predicted all this stuff. You know, when you see the conflict in the Middle East, when you see all this going on, you know, it's all in Scripture. It's all already been written. And we're seeing it play out before our eyes. So that should, first of all, generate an urgency within our hearts to share the gospel with people. Because, you know, I believe Christ could return at any moment. He could return before we're finished with this program. Uh, So what are we doing to reach people with the gospel? What are we doing to tell them about Jesus, about the Messiah? And so, but yes, I think every one of them are, are literal. And uh, 
we've seen how it's been shown throughout scripture that all this was going to come to pass, you know, and Jesus told his disciples that when he see these things, you know, don't be troubled. He said, look up because your redemption is drawing nigh. <laughs> how, how does a person have their house in order? Now, some, some people hearing all this, Daryl, maybe they're afraid. And they think, oh, you know, my goodness, the world is imploding. Uh, this is this is fearful. Or maybe they think, um, you know, I'm a Christian, but I am I am I living the way God wants me to live? Uh, what would it mean to spiritually, physically, uh, in in the core of our soul, be ready to meet Christ? First John two twenty eight says to meet Him confidently and unashamed. Darrell, what does that mean for a born-again believer? Well, I think, first of all, you know, we have to make sure that we have that peace of God in our hearts. And the only way to have that peace of God in our hearts is through our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what he did on that cross. You know, he came to make peace. The Bible says that before we come to Christ, we're enemies of God, and we need to be reconciled. And so— if we have been reconciled by putting our faith and trust in what Jesus Christ did, then the peace of God that passes all understandings will be in our heart so that when we see all these things happening, you know, we don't get upset. We don't get nervous. We just know that God's at work. God's in control. You know, he uh, He put the moon and the stars in space and everything that we see. And so certainly he can bring comfort to us when we see these troubling things happening. And, uh, you know, when you read about it on, on the Internet or you see it on the news, you know, just know that God ultimately is victorious. You know, Jesus has already won the battle. We're just waiting for the celebration. Uh, do, do you believe that the troublesome times that we live uh, actually make it easier to talk to people about spiritual things? Well, I do believe when they see events like this happening and you begin to say, hey, what, what do you think about the situation that's going on in Israel? Uh, people are thinking about those things. And so you can actually use them as a bridge to get to the most important message, which is the gospel. So sure, absolutely. Yeah. Um, have, you ever, have you ever witnessed to somebody and they, they bring up something that, you know, is, is like over your head or how do you navigate that if you're sharing the gospel and they throw some subject out there that you're just not uh, conversant on? What What do you do? How do you react? Yeah. Well, and I've had that happen before. I, I remember one time being down in New Orleans. Every year we go down to New Orleans during the Mardi Gras celebration, not to celebrate, but to go down there and share the gospel with people. And I'll never forget being out there on Bourbon Street one night, and I had a guy who approached me and said that he was an agnostic atheist. And I thought, what? <laughs> you know, those are two different things. How can you be an agnostic atheist? And, you know, he said, no, it's a legitimate worldview. And so I just began to ask him questions about that, what he meant, what he believed. Um, you know, and later on, after I finished that conversation that night, I went and did research. I dug deep to try to figure out, you know, okay, how do I respond to this thing? That's one of the things... If I ever train or mentor anybody in evangelism, I always want to encourage them that if somebody asks you something that you can't answer, it is okay to say, I don't know. 
Um, okay. you know, don't try okay. to come up with some clever idea. Don't try to, you know, sugarcoat it. Just say, I don't know, but I'll be glad to find that out with you, uh, which is one way of approaching it. But, you know, when this guy threw this at me, I'd never heard of it before. So mm -hmm. that caused me to go and find out all about it. You know, you go back and you sharpen the sword because you want to make sure that you're ready for any instance, you know, Peter says we should always be ready to give a defense for the hope that is within us. First Peter 3.15, yeah. Hey, Daryl, yes. have you heard this? Now, now, folks, listen up, because this is semantics. Now, semantics is just kind of verbal gymnastics. Uh, I, I've been watching so much uh, verbal gymnastics go on these days, uh, you know, where— um, they, they don't say, you know, years ago there were slaves. They'll say enslaved people, you know. Uh, and so there's so much nuancing going on in language nowadays. You've got to be very, like, vigilant. But, Daryl, I was in Charlotte, North Carolina, debating an atheist, and there were a lot of people in the audience, and somebody came up, and I was talking to a young man. I said, you, as, as an atheist, and you reject God— he said, he said, no, it's not that I don't believe in God. He said, I do believe in the absence of gods. And I was like, uh, what? He said, um, it's not that I reject belief in God. That's a negative. But my positive position, I do believe in the absence of gods. Now, a big part of me, I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, I'm thinking, okay, you reject that the biblical God exists. But have you, have you noticed, because you do so much with college students, this, um, I, I, frankly, I think it's kind of silly, but just the, the, the shoehorning of language into these endless positions. Have you, have you picked up on that? Yeah, I think so. I think some of us will spill over from the political correctness issues that we face you know, in our culture. And so people don't want to be offensive when they say things. So they, they come up with all kinds of ways of communicating things. But, you know, it just brought me back to um, what it says in the scripture in Romans chapter one. I think I mentioned that earlier, but, you know, it says for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Yeah. Uh, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. Um, you know, and so it's that unrighteousness that causes us to suppress the truth of the gospel. Basically we love our sin too much. And so yeah. this is why I don't really believe there's any such thing as an atheist. You know, I think Josh McDowell wrote a book about that years ago. I, um, I agree. But yeah. And, and so you're suppressing what you already know in your heart. So regardless of how you couch that in different language or whatever, it really boils down to that same position that, you know, you're rejecting God because you have a desire for him not to exist. Uh, yeah, because you're accountable to him. And if you don't think he exists, then you don't feel like you're accountable. <laughs> you, you know, talking about the, the border crisis and uh, illegals coming across the border. Last fall, 
uh, October of 22, I spoke in a number of cities up and down the, the southern border, Corpus Christi, Texas, and other towns, and I was debating some college students, and uh, I used the term, you're, you're going to laugh, felons that are here illegally. And and I, they corrected me. They don't, felon, they felt like it was a derogatory term, and they used the word, now listen to this, justice-involved persons. Uh, oh, wow. Justice-involved persons. I'm like, okay, so you mean that broke the law, not misdemeanors, but felonies. Anyway, folks, this is why worldview is important. And obviously, the most important part, you know, Romans 12, 2 talks about renewing our mind. Uh, it begins knowing the Scripture, but knowing the Savior to whom the Scriptures point. The Son of God, Jesus, the Word of God, the Bible, you, a child of God, born again, indwelt, empowered, sealed by the Spirit of God. And one of the things, like we began with, that you're a witness for Christ. It's not just the preacher's job. Daryl, sadly, we're, we're running out of time here, but, but you mentioned earlier in the program that uh, we think we pay the preacher to do that, or it's the job of, you know, the professional. But no, isn't it every Christian's privilege to be a witness? Um, which, by the way, folks, the word witness means martyr in the Greek. Now, Heaven forbid that you get martyred, but we are, maybe we are supposed to like die to our silence, die to our disobedience, die to our apathy, and let's live out what our Lord told us to do and tell the world how to be saved. It's every Christian's privilege, isn't it, Daryl? Well, and I think that's it too. You know, we have to understand that it's not just a, a issue of obedience. It's not just the obligation. It is a privilege. You know, Paul talked about in Second Corinthians chapter 5 that we are ambassadors for Christ. Yes. And God pleads through us. You know, he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And I can't think of a better job for a believer is to be involved in that ministry. You know, if you're an ambassador for Christ, uh, someone said this years ago, I don't remember who you may remember, but if you're an ambassador of Christ for Christ, why stoop to be a president? Yeah. You know, because yeah. you have the highest office possible. And so it is a privilege to be able yeah. to represent Christ. It is a privilege to be able to witness to him. And, you know, if you have good news, what are you going to do? You're going to call everybody. You know, it reminds me of this sermon for This young guy, young boy and girl were playing in the backyard, and the boy did something that hurt the girl's feelings, and so she ran into the house, and she was complaining to her mother, and her mother was in there making cookies. And uh, she says, Mom, you know, who are you making these cookies to? Well, they're for you, but don't tell the boy. Uh, you know, don't tell the boys that are out there playing about the cookies. Well, what did the girl do? She ran out the door and she says, we've got cookies. We've got cookies. <laughs> you know, we've got Jesus. Because that's good Jesus. news. Yes, exactly. exactly. Why aren't we telling people? <laughs> hey, give us your website again, Daryl. Yes, it's uh, www.goeministries. That's the abbreviation for giving others eternity. Goeministries.org. Wow. 
Well, folks, I'm going to close. Uh, this is almost uh, out of time here on this edition of Truth and Liberty. I want to thank the great crew there at AWM in Colorado. Amazing crew helping the cameras, the lights, the stream go out there. I want to thank my very special guest, Reverend Daryl Davis, of Giving Others Eternity. Now, tell people about Truth and Liberty. Pray for the ministry. Go to truthandliberty.net slash donate. Consider becoming a partner and giving at least $5 a month to help this ministry grow and continue to touch lives. In the meantime, I think about this. Think about this. There was this little bit of poetry. You've probably heard it. One life to live will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Did you ever hear that song by Fanny Crosby? She was a great songwriter, a lot of hymns. Just Google the name Fanny Crosby. But she wrote a song, and it speaks to evangelism. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. Back to the narrow way, patiently win them. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Now listen to this. Rescue the perishing. Duty demands it. Strength for the labor the Lord will provide back to the narrow way, patiently win them. Tell the poor wanderer a Savior has died. Folks, this is, this is the most important thing we could do. Look, we either have Christ or we need Christ. I hope you're a born-again believer. And if you've never made sure, then as we always say, Jesus is as close by as a prayer. If you need spiritual help, you can call. No obligation, no strings attached. We just want to pray with you and help you, 719-635-1111. But if you have Jesus, there are people all around that need the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? We talk about the election. We talk about a lot of things. You know what? We'll change our world, save our nation, restore our families if people get born again by coming to Jesus Christ. And what a privilege that every day of our life we can help people find the Lord. Well, folks, thanks to one and all, but most of all, thanks to the dear Lord Jesus for giving us a message and a purpose, a reason to live. May God bless you. We'll see you next time on Truth and Liberty. Thank you for joining today's Truth and Liberty livecast. You can watch today's and past livecasts in our archives at truthandliberty.net. Our goal is to educate Christians and connect them with resources and organizations to help them impact their sphere of influence. You can help us accomplish this by making a donation at truthandliberty.net slash donate. Join us next time for more Truth and Liberty.